We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome to a Tuesday evening edition of the Rotowire NBA podcast. Nick Whalen joined, as always, on Tuesdays by Rotowire's assistant, NBA editor Alex Barutha. Alex, uh, crazy times in Wisconsin. The Green Bay Packers are, are one game away from the Super Bowl, as they were last year. Uh, what is your level of investment? You and I don't talk a lot of football, and especially not since you know we haven't been in the office in like a year, where where most of our football bantering would typically take place. What is your level of investment? in the NFL and, and in the Green Bay Packers? Um, maybe less than ever before, unfortunately. Wow. Um, yeah, I know. I mean, I, you know, I love the Packers, but I just feel like, I mean, early in the season, I'm all in on football. Love playing NFL DFS. Mm-hmm. I'll like throw some money into a best ball league. I'll watch some, I'll, I'll watch red zone. But then once, once the NBA season comes around, I just get like fully invested into that. Um, so, I mean, I'll definitely watch this upcoming game. Uh, against the Bucks, but um, it hasn't, you know, at this point, I'm I'm more close to a bandwagoner, I think, than a, than a, like a diehard. I kind of feel that way too, uh, for different reasons, just because I had chosen, or I was, I was chosen by the Jaguars to be a fan of theirs. Right. Um, you know, much, much like, uh, you know, Mary and Joseph were chosen to, to be the parents of Jesus. Um, and I, they've just been so bad. And like, obviously the, the Jags have been in the news the last couple of weeks uh, with the Urban Meyer thing and, and Trevor Lawrence and all that. So things are looking up, but the backers I've realized and probably should have realized this 15 to 20 years ago are just a, a much more fun and successful organization uh, to follow, especially with me being essentially from Green Bay. I in some ways regret uh, maybe, you know, all my years of just like swearing off the Packers who are in like their fourth NFC title game in the last seven years or something like that. While the Jags just go one in 15 seemingly every year. Um, but I'm kind of on the opposite now. Like I, I've, I've put that past me a little bit and I feel like I'm, I'm like more into the NFL and, and rooting harder 
for the Packers to win uh, on Sunday than I, than I would have three or four years ago. Yeah, I mean, I think a Packers Chiefs Super Bowl is kind of is that like what everyone wants? Is that just I don't know. I have yeah. no idea. I, I've I've listened to a lot of football pods over the last couple of days that have talked about this, and it seems like everybody has a different opinion. You know, like if you're if you're a, like a big Brady guy or you're a Patriots fan, I, I don't know. Like, do you want to see Tom Brady in the Super Bowl with another team, or you know, do you do you not want that? I don't know. I, I think it totally depends on your perspective. Like, I, I think like Buccaneers Bills would also be a fun Super Bowl. Like, we really can't lose at this point, assuming Mahomes is healthy and, and everybody's playing. Yeah, true. I mean, from a I mean, at least from the perspective of like fun quarterbacks even mm-hmm. bucks bills you again you have brady and, and josh allen um right. so and josh allen's career arc at this point um kind of pulling like a reverse hassan Whiteside, i think <laughs> uh was like maligned yes. and now it turns out he's actually good uh I, I think that's kind of the way Whiteside's early career went though right i think i think <laughs> for him to pull for him to pull a reverse white side it would be like he was great right away and then got worse and then two years later was good again and then was signing a minimum contract with the sacramento kings i think part of the problem is Whiteside himself is pulling a reverse white side where yes. he was maligned and then good and now maligned again right um was we were talking off air before we started about about what portland does because you know joseph narkic out it sounds like at least two months i think the official timetable is is a minimum of six weeks he just underwent surgery um on on tuesday so they'll be without him you know through at least mid-march you know likely uh, late march maybe even into april cj mccollum now out at least a month going to be in a walking boot for four weeks i mean this the, both of these timetables to me seem fairly optimistic um and, and portland is a team that i, I think on paper you know, the top six or seven guys you really like. Obviously, they've gotten off to a, a relatively slow start, Nurkic especially. Uh, but the way this team is constructed, they don't really have a, a next man up who you can just plug in for a month and, and feel like you're okay. Um, and that that's where we came to, like, you know, they probably really wish they had Hassan Whiteside right now to to fill some of these minutes because, you know, it's Enos Cantor and it's Harry Giles at center. Uh, they're starting Rodney Hood at shooting guard for now. Um, Anthony Simons is kind of completely off the map at this point. I, I think the ship has maybe sailed on him becoming the guy that they thought he could a couple years ago. Um, and then even Gary Trent, you know, who plays a few more minutes last night. And I think he was one of nine from the field. So all this is leading to the question of like, how much, how much trouble are the Portland trailblazers in right now? Because I, I feel like it's, it's hard to get a gauge on kind of how things stack up between you know, the two LA teams at the top and then the rest of the West, it's just kind of one big jumbled bunch. They're currently in fifth, but they're only in fifth by like a game and a half. You know, they're a game and a half essentially out of like 13th. You know, what what happens over the next four to six weeks without two of their three best players? Yeah, I I think it's pretty rough for them. I think actually McCollum's absence would be easier to deal with because you do have Rodney Hood and Gary Trent who are just like shot makers, right? They can make threes mm-hmm. for you. They can They can make tough looks. But without him and Nurkic, you're replacing Nurkic with, you know, Cantor, who is a sieve defensively, and Giles, who's still not a proven NBA player. And really the only way you can describe him as is like still like he has flashes. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, they're, you mentioned they're eight and six, fifth in the West, but, you know, 18th in simple rating. Um, and there are only I mean, there are only three teams right now in the West that are more than two games under 500. And that's the Kings. Who are five and nine, the Rockets who are four and eight, and the Wolves who are three and nine. So it's they're kind of just part of that, you know, like mass of teams in the middle. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, without McCollum and Nurkic, I looked up their stats minus 14 net rating with those guys off the court, giving up 121 points per 100 possessions, which is basically like the worst defense in the league. Um, you know, about as bad as like the Kings are giving up essentially uh, on a per a per possession basis. Yeah, the Kings are at 121.8 defensive rating right now. The next worst defense is at 114.9. Ooh. That is obscene. I don't I don't know if there's ever been that big of a gap. And I know we're we're still only what I don't know how many games have they played, like 14. Um that's that's a decent enough sample size that there's there should not be a seven you know points per 100 difference between between you and the next worst team like we're not even we're not saying that that's the difference between like one and 30 that's the difference between 29 and 30 um and i, I saw i think it was tyrese halliburton had a quote today where you know, somebody asked him about about this egregious defensive rating 
And he was like, yeah, I honestly didn't even realize we were that bad on D until we looked it up. So like, I, I feel like they what? apparently they think they're he's like they think they're playing good defense, but the numbers uh, say otherwise. I, I don't I didn't really know how to take that. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't know how to take that either. Um, I mean Halliburton Halliburton's doing so much for them that it, it's yeah. it's one of those things where I mean on one hand you would think you would realize that everyone else is like not doing well around him, but I don't know, man. I think I th- I think Portland is in trouble because again like. This is a pretty similar situation to what we were saying earlier in the year with Steph Curry, where we're like, well, Steph Curry can only do so much when you have, you know, no Draymond and a rookie in, you know, Wiseman and Wiggins and Oubre are not playing well. And now it's like, how much can Lillard reasonably do when he has when his second best player on the team is now uh, Robert Covington, maybe? And, he, you know, he's I not playing so. well. It's either uh, it's either Covington or Mello. Uh, well, it's, I mean. I don't even want to, I don't even want to start having that discussion. Right. Um and yeah, yeah, we were kind of jokingly but half seriously talking off air. Maybe the Kings and Trailblazers should do a, a Giles for Whiteside swap and just get those guys back where they belong. I mean, honestly, I, I think at this point Harry Giles is, is set up to just bounce between Portland and Sacramento his entire <laughs> career. And I mean Portland doesn't seem all that interested in giving him a look. I mean, he, he had like three awesome preseason games and then Terry Stotts immediately was like, yeah, actually we, we probably won't even put him in the rotation. And, and of course he didn't. And even now it's, you know, there, you, I kind of thought maybe we would see like a 50, 50 split between Giles and Cantor just because we know at this point what Cantor's shortcomings are. I mean, it's, it's been the same story basically everywhere he's gone. Um, and, and it's been more of a 75, 25 in favor of Cantor. And, and who knows, maybe, maybe Giles gets some more looks eventually, but um, I guess, you know, one question is like, is, is there anything Portland can do to supplement this team in the meantime? You know, I, I think with all the COVID talk and, you know, basically that, that storyline dominating the NBA so far, I feel like there hasn't been as much like transactional, you know, who's going to get bought out, who could be traded at the deadline. Like I haven't really heard any of that talk quite yet and it is still early, but I mean, if you're Portland, I, I don't, I don't think you have to panic partially because I don't think you were expecting to win the title this year. You know, there's there's not like if you end up finishing eighth or just squeaking into the playoffs again and, and you lose to the Lakers in round one, it's a disappointment, but it's not a disaster. So I don't think there's necessarily like an obligation to do something like you're all in on this year. But I, I mean, like you said, I, I think without McCollum, especially like this team is, is going to struggle, uh, especially against Western Conference opponents. I mean, even even on Monday afternoon, they they get blown out by 20 uh, by the Spurs, who who are also eight and six right now. You know that that wasn't the Lakers or the Clippers or or the Bucks or the Celtics. I mean, that was a team that is is supposed to be kind of in your same league, if not maybe a little bit lower down. Right. Um. And they have, I don't know. They have they have an interesting like cap sheet sort of like Collins is on an expiring contract. They need to figure out what they got to do with Zach Collins. Cantor and Carmelo are on expiring deals. Harry Giles. They have. Derek Jones Jr. for nine million this year and next year, which feels like that's a spot they they they've been playing Derek Jones Jr. so much it's kind of unbelievable. Too much. Considering Too much. he he like couldn't get minutes in the playoffs for the Heat barely. Right. Um. And even Nurkic only has a partial guarantee for next year. Same with Rodney Hood. So they have some flexibility in terms of what they could do, but I don't know how desirable really any of these. Like, what are you going to get in a trade? for Derek Jones Jr. What are you going to get? In a, like, are you willing to trade J- uh, Zach Collins at all? I would think not. Uh, I, I think you're willing to trade him. I just don't know what you get for him at this point. I mean, he's played right. like 10 games in the last two years. You know, whatever value he might have had a year and a half ago is kind of, is in some ways gone. I, I think teams would, are going to need him to prove that he can stay on the floor before you're getting anything that's going to be meaningful. Right. Yeah. And I, I mean, there are very few teams, you know, like maybe – you know, the Pistons or OKC would take a chance on him, for example, um, you know, and they would send back who even knows like George Hill or something um, or the Pistons would give up Derrick Rose or whatever. But I don't even know if that makes sense for the Blazers for the Blazers. So we can look at this in both conferences, but starting with the West uh, in conjunction you know, with this Trailblazers conversation, how many playoff spots are truly up for grabs to you? Uh, in the in the West or as a whole? In the West, um, I mean, I think only, I think only three teams are like out. Um, like I think the three that I've listed: Kings, Rockets, Wolves, and I don't even know if the Rockets are really out. Yeah, I don't know if the Rockets are out. 
I don't know either. They're better than four and eight, uh, for sure. Um, once they get everybody back healthy, Oladipo just played his first game for them. OKC is probably out, you know, six and six. I think they've had an easy schedule. Um, and Memphis, way better than I thought they would be. I mean, I thought they would be doing worse than this, especially after they lost Moran. But they've been shredding water, playing really well defensively. And they're on the verge of getting Jaron Jackson Jr. back. They lost Valanchunas, but again, they're going to get Jaron Jackson back. Um, so I, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to rule them out. Um, it's it's almost entirely up for grabs. Yeah, Memphis has basically been like the most average team in the league so far, which I, I think is a huge victory considering you've gotten yeah. two and a quarter games out of Morant. Um, and like you said, Jackson's coming back. I mean, that roster, like Kyle Anderson had a nice little stretch for a week and a half, and then he kind of regressed back to being Kyle Anderson. Um I think they're thrilled to be seven and six. I and mean, I, I think when, when Morant went out, I was like, they're not winning any games when he's not in the lineup. And and that was not the case at all. I, they're definitely not a cross off for me. I still I still don't think I would pick Memphis to make the final field of, of eight true playoff teams. But they're going to be in the mix. I mean, they, they definitely can't be discounted. I mean, how do you feel about Denver and Dallas are the two that when, when you look at the standings now, you know, Lakers, Clippers, Jazz, Suns. I think that feels about right. Maybe not necessarily in that order, but but those four being at the top isn't crazy. And again, we're talking a difference of, in some cases, like a half game or win percentage. Um, but then, you know, you have Denver and, and Dallas that are technically right now tied for 10th in the West. And again, that's only a game and a half behind Phoenix uh, for fourth. Um, but I, I, to me, those I don't really feel all that differently about those two teams. I, I know there's been some panic about, about Denver and you know, Luca has come out, I think, a little bit more slowly than people thought. Uh, and obviously, Dallas has dealt with some COVID-related issues as well. But I still feel pretty good about both of those teams. Do you? I do. Um, you know, the the Nuggets really... The only thing I'm actually concerned about is the Nuggets defense. Because that seems like it will stay bad. There's yeah. really no... There's no indication that anything is going to happen to make that become good again. You know, Jeremy Grant is not walking through that door. Mason Plumley is not walking through that door. Uh, and, you know, again, we Michael Porter Jr. has been out. That really hasn't affected their offense, weirdly enough. They're still third in the league in offense. Uh, but I think fifth worst, sixth worst in, in defense. So I just, I don't know what they do there. I Do you make a trade? Do you try to make a trade for a defensive player? I don't know, because yeah. you don't have too many, you know, you're not going to trade Michael Porter Jr. for... I don't even know what I don't even know what you trade him for right. like as a, like a defensive minded player. Right. Well, and that's the thing you said it is that it's not like you're, you're saying to yourself, okay, well, once we get him back, then that'll start solving things. Like if anything, that's going to exacerbate, I think some of the defensive <laughs> issues. I mean, if you don't make a trade, you're essentially trying to take the Clippers current approach, which I mean, the Clippers are 23rd in defense, Denver's 24th. Uh, those teams are separated by about a point and a half per 100. So pretty close. Um, but in terms of offensive rating, I mean, the Clippers are even better. They're, they're a full 2.2 points per 100 ahead of, ahead of Denver. So, I mean, maybe the answer is you just get Porter back and you double down and, and hope the offense is even better and you, you can just make up for it. Um, but at the same time, I, I don't know that that's necessarily viable when the team that you're chasing in the Western conference has a, you know, plus 10 net rating already. And they're the best defense in the league. Oh, and by the way, their offense is almost as good as yours. So, you know, the, I think the fact that there is this clear favorite, um, you know, in, in the Lakers that I, I don't, I don't think that it's like an insurmountable team, like some of those Warriors teams were, um, but it's going to take a, you know, a really well-rounded team, I think, to knock off the Lakers this year and, and gambling on just, you know, winging it and having six consecutive great offensive games to, to win that series to me is probably a little bit misguided if that's the route Denver were to take. I think so. Yeah. I mean, Jokic is playing out of his mind and they're barely, you know, they're not even above 500. Um, Murray's still an inconsistent player. None of that was really solved. Uh, and they're paying him, I think, are they paying him the max? Um, they're paying, if they're not paying him the max, it's very close to the max. Yeah. And Denver, uh, other than Michael Porter Jr., Denver has almost no assets. Um, cause Will Barton, I don't really know. I mean, you're not going to get anything for him. Um, RJ Hampton, too young to even tell. He's not even really in the rotation for them. And, uh, Bull Bull. Yeah. Even know Bowl started him. the other day. I mean, that was that was something. But I mean, if, if they're if they're making a trade, it has to be Porter, right? Like anything that's going to be truly impactful. I mean, you could you could do a, a Gary Harris or a Will Barton for another player who's of that caliber, I guess. But 
you know, I don't, I don't think, I don't think you're really changing the core of, of how this team plays unless it's, unless you're throwing Porter or, or Jamal Murray into a, into a trade, which would obviously be massive. Right. Yeah. And I, I mean, who do you even bring back in that scenario? I mean, I, I think Beal is going to be continued to, to be mentioned as, as one of those guys. I don't think Brad Beal helps you defensively. I, I think that's, if you want to triple down on offense, then, then you go get Brad Beal. But I don't think that solves any of the problems that we're talking about. It doesn't. I mean, you know, I'm trying to look through the list of guys who have good defensive ratings right now. And it's just like a kind of a, it's either there's too much positional overlap or, you know, it's like, what are you going to do? Go get Harrison Barnes. Uh, like you're not going to swing Robert Cummington from Portland. Probably, probably, um, yeah. you know, like Josh Okoji, like, is, is that really like some sort of upgrade? Like what does Minnesota even want there? Um, it's, it's going to be really tough. I think for Denver to improve aside from again, Trey and Michael Porter for a package that I just, I don't really know what it entails. The Rotowire NBA podcast is brought to you by bet MGM. Sports bettors know that magic happens when you turn a hunch into action and apply the right amount of expertise. That is why BetMGM has teamed up with Rotowire to offer new BetMGM customers a free six-month Rotowire subscription when you placed your first bet. Register on the BetMGM app or website and use promo code ROTO, that's ROTO, R-O-T-O, to claim your free subscription. Once you make your first sports wager, you'll receive a season's length of Rotowire's unmatched sports insights. Find out why BetMGM is the king of sportsbooks by signing up and placing your first bet today. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, Nevada, Tennessee, and West Virginia only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado and Nevada and 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey and West Virginia. In Tennessee, call or text the red line at 800-889-9789. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. Promotional offer not available in Nevada. How do you feel about the Jamal Murray situation overall? And I was going to bring this up later in context with with Donovan Mitchell when we start talking about you know some where some of these guys rank uh, in terms of fantasy so far. I, I really feel like Mitchell and Murray are on extremely similar trajectories. Um, I, I think Mitchell's been a little bit better, probably more of the the team carrier type than Murray is. Um, yeah, I, I think Mitchell can be and has been really a true number one guy essentially since he took the reins like midway through his rookie year, but. It's been, you know, his his Murray and Mitchell's numbers have been almost identical over the last three years, including this one. I mean, it's it's kind of uncanny, like how similar they are. And, you know, I mean, they're, they're both young. They're in their in their low to mid 20s. You know, there's still room to improve. But usually you like to see more incremental steps by this point. And, I, you know, if you're Utah and you're Denver, it's like, OK, yeah, you're, you're glad you have these guys locked up. But, you know, if you're not seeing that kind of improvement, um I'm not saying you have to you just have to turn around and trade them but I, i'm just not sure what you do especially with murray who again is, is not quite as much of a you know single-handedly you know carrying you night in and night out he can have those nights but he's not doing it as consistently as mitchell um i, I just think like you know if, if he's not going to take that step forward you have to at least consider the possibility of of maybe upgrading at some point yeah i think so i mean murray again we, like he's he's been always inconsistent throughout the regular season like he'll average uh, you know, like 18 points, but half those nights, it's like nine and the other half, it feels like it's 27 or something. And, you know, he hasn't really changed his like shot profile very much. Like he's just taking the same shots he's always taken. He's making them at like a similar clip that he's always made them. And he's not a positive on defense, right? He's not a defensive stopper no, or anything like that. Um, And so, yeah, I don't like... The, for me, the main thing about Murray is he's still really young. He's just about to turn 24 in a couple of months here. Um, and I feel like he's kind of been in the league forever, which is some extent. I mean, he has been in the league for five years now and he mm-hmm. has time. You know, we saw like Brandon Ingram, for example, all of a sudden just like take a complete leap after being in the league for like four or five years because he right. came in so early. And I think that could still happen with Jamal Murray because he like when you watch him play, he fits that mold, right? He seems like he could be a CJ McCollum essentially. And it it seems like for some reason he just can't quite get there. Yeah. I mean, and it, 
what's weird is we see we've seen so many flashes in multiple seasons you know it's not like he just had one seven game run in the middle of his third year and that was it and he never recaptured it it's, it seems like every year he'll have a one or a two week stretch in the regular season where he's just completely dominant and then obviously last postseason and the postseason before that he, he had similar runs um but it, i mean it is it's almost comical i mean we, t- we talked about it last year i think you had the quote where he's you know he will score 12 points one night, 35 the next, back to 14, up to 41. Like, And that's if you look at his, his game logs this year, that's exactly what it's been. I mean, his last six or his last seven games, 13 points, 21 points, 14 points, 9 points, 20 points, 17 points, 30 points. Like, it's just completely all over the map. And, it, you know, it's to me, some of it's kind of like an aggressiveness issue. You know, he like plays 30 minutes against the Knicks last week, only takes nine shots in that game. A couple nights later, takes 27 shots against the Jazz um it's yeah it's it's just really strange and and I, I do think at some point um I guess if we if we get to the end of this year and he's essentially putting up the exact same numbers for what would be the fourth straight year uh, I think that conversation will, will at least be had uh, I want to switch gears to an Eastern Conference team the Brooklyn Nets who we saw take down the Bucks last night uh, how much of that game were you able to watch I watched the whole thing same here that was I I Shot making, I guess, is the first word that comes to mind. Like for some of these games, especially without fans, I, I, I just have a hard time kind of grasping like, all right, this is a big game. You know, like this this game really means something. That was not the case for this one. Like you could tell both teams wanted this like early on. Durant and, and Giannis were getting into it a little bit. Um, I think Giannis was as locked in as, as he normally is, if, if not more for a regular season game. And and Harden looks like a completely different player to me. I mean, not not in terms necessarily of what he's doing, but like literally how he looks on the court like he's he's moving off ball he's directing guys off ball he's smiling at times like he's you know weaving in and out go running as hard as he can full court like things that we haven't seen in, in a good year and a half or two uh you know based on how he was in in Houston um but my question to you like how, how much differently do we feel about Harden uh you know as a fantasy asset with Kyrie coming back uh and then as well as the the, the Brooklyn Nets who are now down to uh, what was their? I just had their title odds up. One second. They're now down to plus 300, so three to one to win the title, and they are now the heavy favorites in the East. Plus 140, Milwaukee uh, is now up to plus 320 to win the East. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I think Harden will continue. Like it's, it's. I can't really imagine Harden playing really off ball. He's such a perfect driving force of the offense. Um, in a in a way that's different from Kyrie and and. Kevin Durant, like I want to say Kyrie will be the most affected because um, he's the least talented of the group. And if you consider like I would consider Harden and Durant to be superstars. And I would consider Kyrie just to be a normal star. There's a lot of like, you know, nuance there. But um, it's weird because actually Durant's play style would be the one who would probably take the biggest hit. Right. Just theoretically, because he is the most able to just be a spot up shooter. And we saw him morph into a, like a total team context when he was on the Warriors in a way that we've never seen from Kyrie, who was mostly just the number two star alongside LeBron and Cleveland and Hargan, who's basically been an ISO player um, for the Rockets on, over the past, you know, cl- I mean, eight years, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I think I, I want to say Kyrie will be affected the most. Um, you know, maybe Durant just gets way more efficient, which is which is possible. Uh, it's just tough to tell right now since we haven't seen any Kyrie Irving with these guys. Yeah, I, I think Kyrie, that seems to be the most common take, you know, just because Harden is, is so ball dominant that like we, we just haven't seen him play any other way since he was a young player and was a completely different personality at that time that like it's it's hard to imagine Harden like just doing a quick, you know, catch and shoot release. You know, it's almost like LeBron. And we, we talked about that in the preseason. Like, can you picture LeBron catching and shooting at this point? Like, there always has to be a, a hold. There has to be a, a dribble breakdown or at least a pump fake or a jab. Like it's the same with Harden where, and he, even last night, like he's, he's playing, I think more freely and, and more, you know, he's, he's certainly more engaged out there, but at the end of the day, it was still the same style. It was a lot of, you know, one-on-one three, four dribbles between the legs, you know, blow by for a layup, blow by for a floater, step back. I mean, I think he's taken like 23 point attempts over these first two games. Um, I, you know, I, I, every team, every time that, superstar players get together um you know there's everybody's always happy to to give up shots and 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 change the way they play that's what they usually say and then when push comes to shove you know somebody always has to get shoved out as as kind of the third guy 
in this situation, I it's hard to imagine Kyrie Irving becoming like a Kevin Love or a Chris Bosh in this situation, right? Like he's not going to go from averaging 27 a game uh, in the seven games that he's played to all of a sudden he's averaging like 15 a game. I mean, that's that's how drastic the statistical decline was for for guys like Bosh and Love. So like I don't I don't know that we're going to see that, but I, I think I think ultimately you know you want to have as many guys who can just go get a basket at any point as possible, but I, I think it's it's also possible that this kind of bogs down the offense in some ways um, where you, you almost, it almost has to be a, my turn, your turn type of thing, especially because of the fact that all these guys are essentially guards. I mean, Durant is, is seven feet tall, but, but plays like a guard. Right. Um, yeah. And that's why, I mean, stylistically Durant's the one who it seems like would naturally take the hit. But I think if you're Steve Nash, you just want to stagger as much as possible to have uh, Hargan on the court by himself with kind of the bench. I think that's how I would probably try to do it because Hargan's a one man offense. And so even if he's surrounded by like Jeff Green and Bruce Brown and Timothy Luwabu Cabarro, you don't feel terrible about that for those, you know, 15 minutes or whatever it is that Kyrie and, and Durant are off the court. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I think we'll see plenty of staggering going on. Um, but, yeah, it's it's going to be the main thing that I noticed from them over these past two games, because I watched the Orlando game as well, which was the first one Hargan played, they've been turning the ball over a ton, and it just hasn't really mattered. Um, yeah. Like, their turnover percentage is insane. It was against the Bucks as well. Um, handed the ball over a ton, but like you mentioned, they just make every shot. They just yeah, run the, Durant off. Yeah, and the quality these, of the shots are incredible. Yeah, they run Durant off these curl screens. He just he just pulls up. He's not even really contested. Um, and the thing is, too, you know, Obviously, they're going to launch a ton of threes, but all three of these guys, Durant, Harden, and Kyrie, are insane from that floater range. So they don't even they don't even really need to get right to the rim um, to to impact the game. Like they can just get to ten feet and throw up a floater, and they're all like great at that. Um, and so I don't again I I don't know how you defend this team. I, I thought DeAndre Jordan actually looked solid last night as well. I mean, defensively. He's nowhere near the same player that he was at his peak with the Clippers. But, I mean, he can still finish you know, from well outside of the paint in terms of just taking that one dribble and, and kind of accelerating to the rim. Like, that. And that's exactly what you need. Like, there were just a number of times where Harden or Durant would get into the lane and and the Bucks are rightfully, you know, collapsing with two or three guys. And it's just a quick dish to Jordan. And, you know, he can, he can still catch and elevate and, and finish over just about any other player in the league because he's still super athletic and, and huge. Um, so not having Jared Allen, you know, is a, is, is a bummer. I, I think, I don't know if you listened to, I think it was on the Windhorse pod earlier this week. He, he mentioned that, you know, the Nets were frantically trying to flip Landry Shamit for a first round pick so they could include that in the deal instead of Jared Allen, uh, yeah. which obviously would have been awesome to me. I, it's insane to ever think that you'd get a first round pick for Landry Shamit. Never, never, especially the way he's playing. Like his stock is, is at an all time low. Um, but if, if they had been able to keep Jared Allen, I mean, I, I think to me, that would make me feel like really, really good uh, about this team. And, and I already feel better about them now than I did. You know, we did the trade reaction pod. And, and I think you, me and James were all pretty skeptical uh, of, of how this would come together. But and we'll see how, how it works with Kyrie. But so far with, with just Durant and Harden, I mean, man, they are they are an absolute buzzsaw. And I felt like Milwaukee played pretty well last night and it, it ultimately just didn't matter. Yeah, Um I do think a lot of that was, you know, the Bucks dom- playing well on the glass, you know, which is going to be the case with Brooklyn because they're pretty small and they did a good job of, you know, forcing turnovers and not giving the ball up. The Bucks did, but they did. Bucks didn't shoot very well at all. Um, it was a lot of like, you know, I, I thought Drew Holiday played an awesome game. Yep. Um, but Middleton was okay. Giannis was only okay. Um, like Giannis on the first half looked great, and then I don't really know what changed, yep. but. Um, yeah, uh, Nets are plus 10 right now with KD and Hargan on the court. Uh, I mean, it, it's been as predicted, awesome on offense, mm-hmm. bad on defense, right? 114 defensive yeah. rating to 124 offensive rating, right. uh, which would be historic. I, and I'll, going back to Middleton, I thought he was really good for a lot of that game, you know, doing, doing things that we typically see from Chris Middleton in these type of games, like really tough shot making uh, and then he forced a, a pull-up three, I thought, on, on their second-to-last possession, and and then you know ended up forcing what was not the worst look ever, I guess, but uh, given the circumstances, you know, kind of kind of doubled in the corner. Uh, but it looked like he had Giannis streaking to the basket on, on that last out-of-bounds play, 
And and I think that's what the Bucks were trying to set up. It was kind of a bizarre play design where Giannis is back almost at the other free throw line and then just comes sprinting full speed and certainly looked like he was ready to receive a pass from Middleton. And and I don't know if, if Middleton thought he had, you know, not enough time to throw that pass and, and have Giannis finish, but I mean, if, if he throws it and, and it's semi-accurate, I think Giannis catches it and lays it in and they go to overtime. I think so, too. That that felt like it had to be designed. To I think so, yeah. It, some crazy cut. I think, yeah, I think so. I think it's just, hey, we want to, you know, good luck stopping this guy from getting to the rim. You know, he has massive strides. You're not going to beat him there. You know, if you try to hold him, it's going to be a foul. Um, but I, I think ultimately, if you're the Bucks. You're, it's not a demoralizing loss, but you look back and say, we, you know, we played pretty well. We didn't, we didn't play the, our greatest game. We played pretty well and we still lost and they were still without their other superstar. Like that's, that to me is what's kind of demoralizing. Like this isn't even the final form for that team. It's not. Um, and they didn't, you know, the, the Nets didn't really get any like absolutely insane performances from anybody. Um, the aforementioned Landry Shamit, you know, play 11 minutes. So he wasn't yep. that impactful. And, Jeff Green and DeAndre Jordan went um, 11 for 12 from the field, but I think they're going to go 11 of 12 from the field a lot of nights because they're just getting, you know, pick and roll dime passes or they're standing in the dunker yeah. spot for easy looks. So that's not that abnormal. Joe Harris had like a normal night for him. He was, I mean, he was, he was great from three. He's five of seven, but that's, mm-hmm. you know, if Joe Harris makes five threes, he does that pretty regularly. Like this wasn't an insane performance from from anybody. Yeah, not not a fantastic Durant game either. I mean, in, in typical KD fashion, we can say that, and he still finishes with 39 and, and six assists, but 10 to 21 from the field, had some kind of weird turnovers, um, had a really costly turnover late uh, that kind of kept Milwaukee in it and, and gave him that final chance. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I still, I mean, do you, is this still your, your Eastern Conference Finals matchup as of right now? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, I think it has to be. Yeah. I, I had some issues with the way Giannis was playing early in the year. Just he was being like really rushed on everything and just running straight into people with charges. But lately he's seemed more slowed down and methodical mm-hmm. with his offense. And I think that's helped the Bucks a lot. And Holiday looks amazing. Middleton looks really good. Um, so it's hard for me to say that anyone is going to beat mm-hmm. the Bucks at the Nets on the way there. All right. Now that your season long fantasy basketball leagues have started, This is a great time to check out our friends at Monkey Knife Fight. It's the fastest growing site in daily fantasy. The NHL, the NBA are in full swing. The NFL playoffs are here. The time is now to take advantage of a 100% instant match up to $50 on your first deposit by using the promo code WIRE. That's WIRE as in Roto WIRE. That's a free $50 in your Monkey Knife Fight account if you sign up with our promo code and take advantage of that deal. We have huge NBA slates pretty much every night this season with the way the schedule works out. Uh, There's really no better time to dive into Daily Fantasy, uh, whether you're an experienced player or just a beginner. uh, This is a great time uh, to get involved, and Monkey Knife Fight is the place to play. Again, visit monkeyknifefight.com. Use our promo code WIRE, that's W-I-R-E, WIRE, to take advantage of that offer today. So let's go back to that same question about playoff spots. How many teams uh, or how many spots, I should say, do you think are, are up for grabs in the Eastern Conference right now? Um, well, I think Detroit and Washington are out. Yes. Um, Washington. My God. Wow. They, I, I mean, feel they terrible even, about believing in them. Well, they can't even play games right now. I mean, they have yeah. six people with, I think, who are COVID positive. Yeah, uh, they were they were going to try to run a practice tomorrow with six guys. I, I think they're going to they're probably going to have a six straight game postponed on Friday. They are they already haven't played in over a week. Right. Um, other than that, I don't think I can write write anyone off. Uh, Miami's only five and seven. but That's obviously going to improve. Toronto's five and eight. Um, I'm still kind of worried about them, mostly from like a, you know, they don't play any home games kind of perspective. Yeah. Uh, but. I can never rule out Orlando as disturbing as that is. And most of these other teams have been playing like well enough. Um, Cleveland is probably out, but they're still, they've, they've managed to still be six and seven without Darius Garland and Colin Sexton for, you know, I mean like four games or something like that. More than that. I I think Garland's missed like seven or or possibly eight. Sexton's I think has only missed four or five, but yeah, I, I those guys should be back. It sounds like tomorrow night. 
Yeah, I mean Cleveland, Cleveland and the Knicks are are in this. I mean, then Chicago, Charlotte. I mean that that whole those that usual grouping of teams that always finishes 10 to 15. They're all kind of in it, except for Detroit. I, I'm with you. I, I think Washington. This is this is definitely heading toward Brad Beal asking out at some point, and I, I think it would not be a hardened situation. I, I think it would almost be a. Uh, it would it would be a situation where everybody's just okay with it. Like you you deserved it to not play here anymore. Um, I I still I I think so. The top five are right now are Boston, Philly, Milwaukee, Indiana, Brooklyn. We'll talk about Indiana sec- in a second. I, I think those five are are probably locked in. Indiana being the shakiest of that group. I still would put Miami and Toronto in. Uh, I'm with you on Toronto maybe not being as much of a like a long term threat as a, as they have been the last couple of years. Um, for a number of reasons, but I, I still think at the end of the day, like they're going to make the playoffs over Orlando or Charlotte or Chicago or whoever it might be. So that just leaves one spot then for the Knicks, the Cavs, the Hawks, the Bulls, the Hornets, and the Magic. I mean, I would I would lean towards the Hawks. I think they have the most talent. They definitely uh, have the most talent. Yeah, I know. I, I, I don't know, know if they're the best coached. No, I don't really have any like strong opinions on on Lloyd Pierce as a coach, and I know. You know, the John Collins, Trey Young situations getting a little testy and, you know, the Collins and the Hawks as an organization, that situation's getting a little odd. Yeah. Uh, so I think he'll be out sooner than later. But he as long as he's on the team, he's still a really talented player. And I'm sure if they trade him, they'll get someone talented back. And they've barely I mean, Bogdanovich is out for a long time now because he had a pretty gruesome injury. Um, and Gallinari has played like three games for them. So they've been playing really well, like with their, you know, like they've had two key pieces missing a ton of games and Capella wasn't really healthy for the first three games of the season either. Yeah, I, I think they're certainly the most talented team and, and in some ways not having Bogdanovich, I mean, obviously you'd rather have him, but I, I do think they had one or two too many guys where you just had kind of drastic swings in minutes night to night for a lot of players on this roster. And I think subtracting a guy who is going to average 25 to 30 minutes a night is in, 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 you know, again, you're not a better team without him, but I I think it makes everybody else a little bit more comfortable in their role. So I I don't think that was like the end of the world. The Collins situation is, is wild. I mean, I, I do respect a ton his, his approach to this, which was call out the star, but then also follow it up with, but it, Hey, well, he's still my guy. He's my guy, but he's, he's killing the team. But at the end of the day, I still love him. Like that's not going to end well. <laughs> like, and then I, I think Trey young came out and like, didn't take a shot in the first quarter in their last game, um, which I, I don't think is a long-term strategy for success. Uh, at the end of the day though, I, I think I am with you because mostly because of the teams that we're talking about here. Like I don't, I'm not in love with the Atlanta Hawks, but I will always pick them to be a better team than the Cleveland Cavaliers or the New York Knicks. Uh, the Bulls have been very much up and down. They haven't really, I don't think, taken like a full step forward. Um, I mean, Charlotte, who knows? I, I think they'll be in the mix. And Orlando, I, I think Orlando might have the single best player of all these teams with how Vucevic is playing so far. And Aaron Gordon's look really good. But I, I think they just have maybe a little too much attrition, like losing Markel Fultz, uh, losing Jonathan Isaac. Um, and, and unless they have some way to add a little bit of talent, I don't. I don't know if they can go the rest of the way with Cole Anthony and, and MCW playing point guard the entire season. Yeah, I'm with you on that. That team is um, really thin right now, but they're extremely well coached. And as far as Chicago goes, I mean, the main thing for them is they haven't they all their games have been close lately. They yeah. have three blowout losses really early in the season. But since uh, January 3rd, which is when they beat Dallas, they have not lost a game by more than four points since then Hmm. um so they've been good and i think that's probably more you know i i think the early season stuff was just them you know some guys were cold guys were missing time and getting used to billy donovan's offense after the whole jim boylan you know experience um you know i i saw someone tweet that wendell carter jr is finally breaking free of the psychic damage that jim boylan did on him um and i think that might be accurate i'm sorry i can't remember who tweeted that uh, yeah, I, we'd never really factor that into our projections, I guess. It's no. like the, the psychological damage uh, quotient. But <laughs> they've also had some some guys miss time with COVID, too. I, I think Markkanen missed like four or five games. So that's that's part of it. Uh, I want to touch on Indiana again real quickly. The Karis LeVert situation, I, I don't we he very well may not play again this year. I don't know how there's it's fairly unprecedented to undergo surgery on your kidney. 
uh, I guess maybe with the exception of Alonzo Mourning, um, like during a season like this. And like my first question is how how did this never come to light in Brooklyn? You know, like how do you how is this only discovered? You know, during what I assume is just like a team physical after the trade. And then also, how does this not void the trade? I don't know. My guess, I, again, not a doctor. Uh, probably during a normal physical, maybe they just, you know, they like you know, when they press on your chest or on your stomach or whatever, and they probably poked around on his stomach and he's like, that hurts. And then they're like, well, it's going to MRI. And it's like, well, here, you know, you have a mass on your kidney. Um, I don't know how this doesn't void the trade. I mean, they got additional compensation, but um, I just don't think they wanted Oladipo there anymore. And I think they were completely fine with just dumping him for, uh, you know, a quote unquote only, let's say, 90 percent chance Levert plays NBA basketball within the next two years or whatever. Um, It's yes, it's a really odd situation. Yeah, I mean, I, I think in the short term. They're going to be you're without Victor Oladipo, obviously, who's in Houston. The guy who you thought would replace 85 to 90 percent of his production is now out indefinitely. TJ Warren is out for another month. They should get Jeremy Lamb back maybe as early as Wednesday, but he's coming off of a torn ACL. Um, it's it, and obviously you know Miles Turner you know might miss a little bit of time. He's, it sounds like he's just going to play through a fractured hand. Um, it's it's going to be heavy Brogdon, heavy Sabonis. Both those guys have been awesome so far this year. But, you know, if and when Malcolm Brogdon misses three weeks with a pulled hamstring at some point, they're going to be really thin all of a sudden. I, I would still I would still stick with Indiana as as a playoff team in the East. But they they're kind of walking a thin line, you know, for this next month or two, at least until Warren gets back. They are. They are for sure. Again, they're a team that's well coached. And if yeah. Brogdon and Sabonis are healthy, I'm not worried about them. But um, they're they're on thin ice for sure. I have a couple notes on Miles Turner, which I included in my column that, that went up on the site today and, and is on Yahoo as well. So he's played 12 games so far this season. He has multi or multiple blocks in 10 of those 12 games. He has seven games with at least four blocks. He is currently on pace to become the first player, uh, and I'll, I'll let you guess the name, first player since 1995-96 to average at least four blocks per game. Do you know who that was? Um. Wow, I feel like I'm blanking. Um, did Ben Wallace ever do four blocks a game? Surprisingly, no. We're, we're, you know, Wallace was more like early 2000s ish. Right. Oh, you say it was in. Oh, you said it was in the 90s. I thought you said since the it 90s. Was, oh, I'm sorry. I said in. It was the year 1995-96. Oh. Did Hakeem do it? So I was really starting to question. Like, do you know who Ben Wallace is? No, no, no. <laughs> did Hakeem do it? No, great guess. Dikembe Mutombo. Oh, uh, yeah. The last player to go over four blocks per game. And I, I think he did it two or three times in the 90s. Um, and then the other note, which is I think this is maybe even more impressive, also on pace to shatter Manute Bowles single season block percentage record, which has stood since 1988-89. Uh, so among players who played at least a thousand minutes in a season, uh, Manute Bowles block rate was 10.8 percent in 88-89. <laughs> Miles Turner is currently at 11.6. That is a huge gap, like 0.08 or whatever it is, 0.08% doesn't seem like that much. That's a pretty massive gap. Uh, Minute Bowl, yeah, seven blocks per 36 minutes that season. Yeah, nasty. Um, I was surprised that he met the, the minutes minimum, honestly. And then the other interesting point here is like, so I at the time that I wrote this, I thought Turner was going to miss time. Uh, and it sounds like he might not end up missing any time, but... If he doesn't break the record, Nerlens Noel is right there, and so is Chris Boucher. <laughs> Noel's at 10.6%, and Boucher's at 10.4% block rate. We've we've somehow reached like a a new era of shot blockers because everyone is everyone is so focused back on getting yeah. to the rim again. It's all rims and uh, shots at the rim and threes. So there is a there is an opportunity for some like insane block numbers if if you are if you're that skilled. I also should note um, the the minimum 1,000 minutes was kind of an arbitrary, um, you know, like, I don't know what the right word is, qualifier uh, for me with this. Uh, but there's there's some names. If you if you were willing to waive that, the number one block percentage in a single season in NBA history belongs to Jordan Mickey, who threw up a 15.1 block rate uh, in only 57 minutes played. But he blocked 15 <laughs> percent of the shots that, that were taken while he was on the court. All right. You know, uh, good old J Mick. 
Yeah. So there's there was more than a one in ten chance that if if you took a shot when he was on the floor, he was going to block it. That's, that's just crazy. <laughs> Hamad Haddadi also on this list. Oh, yeah. DJ Mbenga also on this list. Uh, Hassan Whiteside in 2011-12 also on this list. Uh, Mitchell Robinson in 2018-19 back when I actually thought he was going to break this record. Um, let's use this as a segue to uh, to talk about some of the guys. Uh, we we were just kind of combing through the top 100 players. In, in Yahoo leagues. I was looking at nine cat. I think you were probably looking at, at eight category, um, but that's, that's the default in the league that I'm in. And I want to talk about Mitchell Robinson, who's, who's at 23 overall in nine category leagues. Uh, but at the same time, I, not really doing it, I think in the same way that a lot of people thought he would. Yeah. Not blocking as many shots. I, like I thought the only way he was going to be, you know, a top 40 player or whatever it would be if he was blocking a ton of shots that's not really the case. Um, you know, he's, I mean, the main thing is he's getting the minutes, right. And that, um, uh, Thibodeau t- uh, trusts him, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's just still, it's, it's field goal percentage. It's his rebounding. I mean, his block and steal numbers are still good. Like the 1.4 steals a game is huge. Yeah. Field goal percentage also huge. Uh, the fact that he's not taking many free throws because he's shooting 44% at the line. Also very big. <laughs> For his value, but I mean, really, he's basically averaging 30 minutes a game, which is what everybody wanted to happen. I thought when that happened, he was going to be putting up Miles Turner type of block numbers. Yeah, I I don't know. Maybe Thibodeau. I haven't admittedly watched enough Knicks basketball to really lock into what Mitchell Robinson is doing on the defensive end, but it might be one of those situations where they're getting him to chase less on like help side blocks and just get him to box out more. Um, yeah which is how a lot of guys end up racking up huge block numbers as they sell out for the block and give up the rebound. Right. Who are some other guys uh, when you were coming through that top 100 who stood out? Jeremy Grant, uh, 15th and nine cat. I didn't think this was going to happen. We all kind of laughed at Jeremy Grant, I think collectively for thinking he was like a point forward. Uh, turns out he is. Um, he runs a lot of, he's basically doing what Blake Griffin did. Like, he doesn't pass as well, right? He's not really, like, a passer. But he's up to two and a half assists a game. Obviously good defensive numbers. He's always been kind of like a one-steal-and-one-block guy. And I just didn't think he would be able to handle the ball, go through picks, and shoot efficiently. But he is. He's taking 19 shots a game, averaging 25.6 rebounds. Um, The Jeremy Grant experience. He's a 3-10 Detroit Pistons. He is. I mean, like, he's better than Blake Griffin right now. Uh, yeah. he's, he's their best player, right? Uh, Jeremy yeah. Grant. Yeah, by far. Yeah. And I, yeah, I, I mean, he's, he's 25 points a game. He's shooting 47% from the field, 39% from three, 86% at the line. That's the big thing. I mean, he was for, for the rest of his career, he's essentially like a 70% free throw shooter and he's up to 86 on, you know, double the attempts compared to last year. Yeah. I think that's, that's the important thing. And that's the thing that's really vaulting up his his stock because if you had told people well he's going to shoot 85 percent from the free throw line and they would have drafted him way higher than than people already were willing to draft him which was relatively high but apparently not high enough who are some other names on that list nick batum man it's unbelievable i i don't know what happened maybe he stopped smoking uh maybe maybe he went vegan but he's back smoking more smoking um he's very back he is still taking minutes away from marcus morris who they paid like 20 million dollars a year right and luke Kennard. i think and they luke both Kennard. got the, the four for 64 right i think so yeah uh just who knew you know i mean i think the important thing to remember is that he's younger than steph curry so we probably should have seen this coming the clippers are shooting 44 percent from three as a team but so that I mean, Batum is a big part of that. He and Paul George are essentially single handedly dragging that number up. He's at he's at like 43 percent on four and a half attempts per game. But yeah, I, I think they saw him as just this early season filler for for Boris. Well, he was hurt, you know, to begin the year. And he's he's just been too good to, to take out of the rotation. And it's not like he's, you know, just just giving you spot minutes here and there. Like he has started every game so far and played at least 20 minutes in every single game. Yeah, Batum is kind of writing the book right now on, like, if you're a veteran, and by veteran, I mean a 28-year-old at some point who is just unhappy with their situation, uh, you just don't practice, don't work out, uh, don't even shoot the ball. Just kind of run around out there, do some swing passes, and eventually, 
you'll get let go and you can hop onto yeah. a contender where you can play 30 minutes a game again because turns out you were you were you were faking being bad for three years yeah and if you're if you're lucky the team will just send you home mid-season and you can just hang out for right. <laughs> basically an entire year and, until the next season begins yeah. uh malcolm brogdon is at number nine overall in nine category leagues I mean, I'm, I'm not like super shocked because he he was awesome at the beginning of last year as well. And then once the injuries started to come, um, you know, that's that's where the regression was built in a little bit. I I don't know if it's sustainable. I, I think by the end of the year, he's probably closer to like 25, you know, even with the hot start factored in. Um, but he's been really good. Obviously, Sabonis has been great as well. Miles Turner is, is 14th in, in nine category leagues almost entirely because of the fact that he's lapping the field in blocks um chris boucher up to number 10 uh for all the bad picks that i made I, I did end up getting boucher in like three leagues this year and he's kind of been keeping me afloat in a few of those um were you able to get boucher anywhere i have zero boucher i think mm-hmm. uh which is unfortunate i just didn't realize or didn't think that aaron baines is washed he's very washed who who saw that happening and the and the raptors released alex len today who yeah. was like playing because Aaron Baines was so bad. I mean, they're a hundred. Boucher is going to start playing 40 minutes a game at this rate. Boucher is yet to start a game this season. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't understand it. Like, I don't, I don't think Nick Nurse likes him. There's, I, I, that's my own personal opinion because there's no explanation at this point to start Aaron Baines and play him for four minutes. Uh, like he did against the Hornets over the weekend. It, it makes no sense. Like Aaron Baines has scored two points over the last five games. He started all five of those games. He's played 50 total minutes and has two points. Boucher is starting to approach like, I mean, he probably has already like Christian Wood territory where it's like, why isn't this guy playing 35 minutes a game for a good team? The coach must hate him. Uh, That kind I mean, but it's, he's really good. I don't know if he's, I I don't think he's going to continue shooting like 47% on threes, but he's been good at the rim. Um, obviously yeah. his block numbers are crazy. So I think this is mostly real what we've seen from him. Yeah. I think the only thing is the three point shooting his, his last six games, he's at 54% from three on five attempts per game. I mean, that's, that's going to come down obviously. Um, but everything else, I mean, he's, he's always been a crazy per minutes block, uh, accumulator, you know, even when he was like, when he would see the court five times a year, he would always rack up a bunch of blocks. He has two total turnovers. Uh, in his last like 150 minutes, like he just never turns the ball over, isn't isn't super reckless, picks his spots really well, uh, pretty good free throw shooter for a big man. Like there's there's really not a lot of holes here. I I, I don't know. We'll have to do some more digging on that. But like there has to be a, an explanation for for Nick Nurse, who's universally respected as one of the best coaches in the league, to you know not only be slow out of the gates with Boucher. I mean he was he had a game early in the season against Philly where he played five minutes off the bench yeah. and it was, it was a game that they lost. Like it was just basically garbage time um, to insist on sticking with Baines. And then, and then, like you said, like they even started Alex Len over him multiple times before releasing him. Yeah. I need like a Boucher sit down long form interview. Like let's get yeah. Boucher on a, a 50 minute podcast or some, you know, like 20 minute read on ESPN or something like that. Yeah. Chris Boucher uncut. Um, <laughs> Julius Randall is at 26. In nine category leagues, I I think he would be quite a bit higher. You, maybe you have the number for ACAT, um, but the turnovers have obviously been a huge issue for him. Larry Nance inside the top 30. Uh, Christian Wood at 33. Uh, not a surprise necessarily, but I, I do think that if you if you were someone who invested in Christian Wood, this has gone about as well as it possibly could have gone so far. He's continues to just get better and better. Uh, with each passing game, uh, hasn't dipped under, well, he's dipped under 20 points only once so far. He's had some huge rebound numbers, uh, had some three, four block games so far. Uh, doesn't really get steals or assists. That's kind of the main downfall. Does turn it over a decent amount. But I, I think what's most encouraging is that every time DeMarcus Cousins plays, it's been a complete disaster so far. Um, and any thought that like those two would be splitting minutes at center has in my mind kind of been put to rest like even the games when demarcus cousins doesn't get tossed or pick up an immediate tech he's still only playing like 16 to 18 minutes yeah this is it's been if, if you drafted christian wood again yeah like you said this, this has been good for you um yeah cousins has been rough man i think i think he was still a fine flyer towards the end of fantasy drafts but uh he just can't get the minutes to even be worth a spot 
No, I agree. All right, anyone else who stands up before we got to wrap this up? Uh, that's about it for me. Um, I mean, other than you know Jordan Clarkson, probably the front runner for six man of the year right now, ranked 45th and nine cat. Um, you know what? I happen to have those odds up right now, and he is the favorite at three to one. Goran Dragic is eight to one. Terrence Ross ten to one. Chris Boucher twelve to one. <laughs> Boucher. Honestly, if, if Boucher just does this the entire year and never starts a game, I, I think he has to be the sixth man. Or most improved. I both. He's eighteen uh, to one for that. Yeah, Boucher most improved is probably a good bet. Yeah, that's a really good bet. I actually, I actually wanted to spend time talking about these, uh, but we're we're running a little short. He at eighteen to one. I mean, Randall at sixteen to one. I think it's still great odds. Jeremy Grant is three to one. I, I mean, obviously we we just talked about how great he's been. I don't know that he's necessarily going to get the credit if the Pistons finish like nine and sixty-two. You know, like there. I I don't know if I, I think it, there's definitely some like. Really bad team, good stats, uh, potential with him. Um, I still like Jalen Brown at 25 to one as, as my favorite for for most improved. That's good too, and I still like John Morant at 100 to one. Uh, yeah, I think those odds are way too long for the kind of numbers he could be putting up this season. Yeah, we'll we'll have a feature come in uh, later this week, take it and taking a look at some of these futures on the DK Sportsbook. So keep an eye out for that. All right, man, that'll do it for this week. Uh, I'll be back with James on Thursday. You'll be back with Shannon and Ken on Friday. Uh, we'll have uh, Ben Zweiman from, from DK Nation coming on the pod next week to talk a little bit of gambling as well. But yeah, let's wrap it up here. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 